From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. We're going to start with a dramatic week unfolding in the West Ada School District. And like any really riveting drama, it's one where we don't know the outcome. We don't know what to expect on Monday, but we have plenty to talk about just from what's happened this week. Clark, you've been our lead reporter on it, so get people up to speed about a tumultuous week in the state's largest school district. Yeah, and it, boy, and it has been that, and it started Tuesday, it continued Wednesday, it went into Thursday, and here we are Friday, still trying to make sense of it. Uh, But the crux of it is, is the school board on Thursday afternoon approved a plan to go back for in-person hybrid learning uh, for all grade levels on alternating days, just as hundreds of West Ada teachers are calling in sick on Monday in a protest saying that they don't think that there should be any kind of in-person education offered under the red coronavirus risk classification, uh, which is also an element to this news story. Earlier in the week, Central District Health, which is one of seven regional health districts in the state, uh, elevated the COVID-19 exposure and risk factor for all the Ada County schools, Uh, And that includes West Ada, includes Boise and CUNA as well. But they moved West Ada from the yellow risk, which was the medium level of risk, up to the red, the highest level of risk. And that really kicked things off on Tuesday, and the fallout went from there. But the latest and greatest... That was one of the few things from this week that was actually predictable. Yeah. Because Central District Health was kind of signaling that they were going to go to the red. and But what we didn't expect was... West Ada's decision about how to respond to that and, and the teacher's re- response to it. Yeah, it, and this is being driven uh, in terms of the sick days. They're calling it a sick out. It's been driven by the West Ada Education Association, which is the local chapter uh, of the teachers union there for West Ada. There was an emergency meeting uh, that the Education Association held Wednesday night over Zoom for about a half hour. Uh, I joined that meeting, and that was where um, Eric Thies, the president of the West Ada Education Association, laid out uh, the plan for the action on Monday. He said he had spoken with the executive board of the teachers' union earlier that day, and it was coming from the association, not just him requesting it individually as president. But, um, yeah, it was interesting. There were 450 people at one point on this Zoom call Wednesday night. Eric laid out... The plan uh, basically said over and over again, the bottom line is red needs to be remote. Uh, That's the position. And he's saying, if you don't feel safe teaching in person in the red on Monday, I would encourage you to call in sick. And it's sort of a way to amplify that message uh, to the district administrators and to the board of trustees that, that at least for those teachers, that's their position that they don't think that they should be teaching in the red. And this all gets a little bit complicated. Um, the school year started all remotely in West Ada because they were classified in the red. Then Central District Health moved that back to the yellow uh, the end of the first week of September. Moved it back to red on Tuesday, as we talked about. But notably, Central District Health is now saying that it will allow some form of in-person instruction in the red for now as it continues to monitor the case numbers. And I think that's important. Which is continuing in the Boise School District. I right. mean, Boise has been going to this hybrid model 
segueing into this hybrid model for several weeks. That's going to continue uh, under their plan going forward. They, they don't plan to be completely back to face-to-face -face learning uh, anytime soon, but they're continuing this path towards hybrid learning in Boise, which is you know more or less the same thing that West Ada is talking about doing. Yeah, a similar thing. The details are a little bit different. Certainly the response has been very different, uh, but similar things overall and, and the same risk classification. Red, uh, both districts are in the red and, and, they're, and they're really neighboring districts. If you live in the Treasure Valley, if you live in the Boise or West Ada area, you know that, but uh, they're essentially neighboring connected districts in the Boise area, in the Treasure Valley and Ada County here. In a county that has seen consistent and ongoing increases in cases through the summer and spiking again now here in the fall. Yeah. And it just, it, West Ada really had, they had a, a full week, didn't they, Kevin? Because we, we haven't even talked about, but on Tuesday night, the board, the West Ada school board on Tuesday night took the first bite at the apple um, and the board could not come up with, they could not pass a motion. They could not pass any action related to the move to red and at the end of this long... But they tried at it. They were there for four hours. Right. They, they tried. Were, uh, off. They, were there for, they were there for four hours. Uh, it was kind of a, a divisive, bizarre meeting. And then at the very end, in the final minute, the former board chairman, Ed Klopfenstein, resigned in anger as chairman of the board, but decided to keep his seat as a trustee. And so the board meets again Thursday. They appoint a new... Chairman, um, Trustee Philip Newhoff, I hope I'm pronouncing the last name right, uh, he was appointed chairman, and then they approved the plan to go back for the hybrid learning on alternating days uh, starting Monday. And as we sit right now, it's not exactly clear how the district is going to respond to this big sick out on Monday. The district anticipates that it will go forward. Uh, the last word that we got was Thursday afternoon, and I checked again Friday morning. More than 700 teachers from the West Ada School District have already requested a sick day for in advance for Monday. And Assistant Superintendent Brett Heller confirmed all this on Thursday, and he said that the district, as of Thursday when he was speaking, is not in a position to cover those absences. They had not been able to cover 550 of the more than 700 sick leave requests. Uh, again, that was at the that was the latest as of Thursday. We're recording this late morning on Friday, October 16th, and I do anticipate one more update today from the district in terms of a communication to parents on getting them prepared for the different scenarios that may play out on Monday. So I think if you want to check back with us, uh, the homepage, www.idahoednews.org, Later on Friday, I should have one more update maybe about where things stand looking into Monday, but we just don't know right now, Kevin, right? Right. It's it's really up in the air uh, what West Ada's next move is going to be. So as you're listening to this, uh, check our homepage. We'll have uh, we <laughs> you, Clark, will yeah. have an updated story about the situation in West Ada and what the district's plans are, and then we'll have full coverage on Monday because... Um, to put this number into perspective, 700 teachers, that translates to more than a quarter of West Ada's uh, teaching workforce. Uh, the district has about 2,500 teachers is the uh, the calculation that we've got. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty significant sick out if it comes, uh, comes to fruition like it's uh, being talked about. And as you mentioned, 
you know, the district cannot cover all of those uh, classrooms and, and cannot cover all of those absences with, uh, with substitutes. So uh, it could be a very uh, turbulent day on Monday if, if it comes to fruition. And it, uh, in yeah, one hundred percent. And it has the potential, obviously, to affect thousands and thousands of families. I mean, just to put it in context, if you don't live locally to West Ada, it is the state's largest school district uh, based on enrollment. It serves almost forty thousand uh, K twelve students, and so if there's a massive disruption, and we do, we don't have a breakdown of the absences by school building, and I don't know if we're going to get that but it is affecting all three different levels. So it's affecting high school, it's affecting the middle school grades and elementary, but we're talking about the state's largest district. We're talking about a district that serves 40,000 public school students and has, like you said, about 2,300, 2,500 uh, teachers, depending on exactly how you define teaching staff, but a large district, a, a large employer um, serving a lot of families. The 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 ramifications of this could be very widespread if this, in fact, does go forward as planned, as it appears that it might. And, and because it is such a large school district, and because it is a large school district right on the right in the shadow of the state capitol, what's happening here? The political implications are huge. Yeah, and we've already seen the political fallout just in the past few weeks in the West Ada School District. Clearly, teachers are upset about. West Ada's response to, to the pandemic. Parents are upset. All five trustees right now are subject to a potential recall election. That is moving forward. Yeah, it was and, just certified the other day. It is yeah. going to move forward. Um, and and don't, don't get us started on the math of a recall election. I yeah. did a blog about that earlier this week. It, it's incredibly complicated and, and convoluted. We'll cross that bridge if we get to that point. But the, 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 the the fact of the matter is, though, you've got parents who are mobilizing for a recall election in in the district. You have legislators who weighed in on this issue a few weeks ago, uh, urging trustees to go to full time, you know, 100 uh, percent face to face instruction, not even the, the hybrid model that we're talking about right now. That's the subject of a potential sick out. So now you've got. And, and we don't even know yet, but. We, you can start to speculate, at least, about the political fallout. If there is a sick out in the largest district in the state, what kind of uh, what kind of political repercussions that's going to have at the state house next legislative session, when lawmakers are talking about you know, the public school budget, when they're talking about whether to uh, revisit the career ladder and you know, fund the career ladder when that's on hold. I mean, this could this could be a a real real firestorm. It, it's certainly a, a tense situation. It already is. There's, <laughs> it could get even more intense. There's a lot of ingredients there, as you just laid out. But I I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but I know that there's the possibility that if this goes forward, uh, we could be dealing with the fallout and the political ramifications, literally for years to come, uh, depending on where this goes and and, and what happens, uh, because. Like you said, all those ingredients coming together, the largest district, the pressure from the legislators, the overall environment, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, the board is trying to satisfy uh, and, and strike this balance between parents uh, who are divided, but who have said in surveys that they want uh, their children going back and they value in-person education versus the staff who have said, 
we don't feel safe, we don't feel secure, there's no way we should be doing education in the red. And there was one more point that I wanted to get to on sort of the safety protocols in West Ada, and we've mentioned this and alluded to this in the past, but West Ada is not only the state's largest district, up until this year's enrollment drop, it had been growing wildly, and overcrowding continues to be an issue in West Ada, and one of the things that Central District Health said when it did say that we're going to allow some form of in-person education to continue in the red, it did say if that happens, you need to have physical distancing consistently in place all throughout the school day. Uh, and that's physical distancing of six feet between individuals or small independently spaced pods of groups of like three to five students that are spaced out independently. It said that needs to happen consistently. Well, West Ada Assistant Superintendent Brett Heller told the school board twice this week that he does not guarantee that West Ada can do that uh, in all of its cl classrooms all across the district. So he just came right out and said, I don't know that we can do this. I don't know that this is even possible. I cannot guarantee that that would happen. And so that's another uh, dimension and something to be thinking about as well. And it's certainly on those staff members' minds as they weigh their decisions. Right. And, and I think, you know, that comment, I'm sure, resonated with, with some of the teachers who are contemplating their next move uh, coming up on Monday. You know, just to just kind of put it into some form of historical context, yeah. we don't see this kind of labor confrontation between teachers in school districts very often in, in the state. We were having kind of a, you know, you know a, a Slack conversation about that uh, earlier this week. And the last strike, and this is not a strike, a sick out is not a strike, but the last teacher's strike, as far as we can uh, discern, as far as Randy Schrader, our, our data analyst, can discern, goes back to 1987. Uh, and this is in the Nampa school district. So, you know, whether that's the exact year or not, um, you know, that, but Randy's memory is pretty good on this stuff. It just gives you a sense. This doesn't happen very often. It happens very infrequently. So what we're seeing potentially unfold on Monday is, you know, it's, it's historic. Yeah, absolutely. It could be. Uh, once again, we'll stay on top of it. We'll have more updates uh, today. I anticipate at least one update. Uh, we'll have full coverage on Monday. But this is also a, a point of the podcast where I wanted to point out that I do know that some of our listeners are part of the West Data community, whether you're a parent or a taxpayer or administrator uh, or, a, or a teacher uh, who's affected by this. We would love to hear uh, from you. Uh, our email addresses uh, are available at uh, idahoednews.org. You and I are both on Twitter. I'm at Clark Corbin. You're at Kevin Richard. But we would love to hear from members of the West Data community about how this is affecting you about what your thoughts are on this situation. And, and we would like to, to reach out to you to help tell the story that's going to be affecting so many people uh, on Monday. So if you can, get in touch over email or social media, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, while it's happening. Uh, we want to hear from the people affected directly by this, regardless of what their position is or where they stand on this. We would like to find out uh, what's happening uh, what's happening with school and how folks are being affected. And and uh, it's going to be a big responsibility to tell that story. And so I would like to make an appeal to some of our listeners and some of the members of the West Data community uh, to reach out and to share their experience with us. Right. Right. You know, we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to talk to you. 
uh, as part of the story. And if you feel like there's an element of the story, if you have questions about this, if you're, if you're a parent or an educator or a taxpayer and you have questions about the, the process uh, of this, uh, let us know. If you feel like there's something that's missing in our coverage that you want to see, uh, we want to hear about that as well. So, you know, big story. And we're going to need to crowdsource this thing some. So uh, if you uh, have any feedback, uh, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the backdrop for the whole conversation, obviously, is the coronavirus pandemic and the health situation. But Kevin, you've been, you took a step back this week and looked at overall statewide numbers about how kids, about how children have been affected by the coronavirus. And you, and you were able to go back basically since school started. What numbers were you looking at and what did you find out? Yeah, these numbers came in just in time, as it turned out. I wanted to go back um, and I requested these numbers last week. They've been available. They just are not easily accessible on, on the state's website because they refresh that every day. But what I wanted to do was you know, take a step back to the root of this thing and look at what's happening with case numbers among school-aged kids. And also, you know, asked for the same numbers for 18 to 29-year-olds, right? Uh, you know, college-age kids to, to some degree anyway, um, to get a sense of what's happened since August, you know, since we've started the reopening process. And you know, what are the trends? What are the numbers? And what I was struck by when I crunched the numbers earlier this week was that well, the numbers are increasing across the board, across every demographic, across every age group, just because we're in the middle of an outbreak where, um, I, I believe, state epidemiologist Christine Hahn said, according to the national rankings, we are number seven in the nation now for, uh, for case numbers per 100,000 residents. You know, that's not a top 10 ranking you want, but that's one we've got. So we're seeing big increases across the board. But what jumped out at me was that the increases among school-aged kids, we were talking about kids from five years old through to 17 years old, the increase in that cohort, in that age group, is growing even more rapidly than the statewide figures. And it's more than doubled since August. The numbers seem to be uh, ticking upward even more rapidly uh, in the past few weeks. Uh, you know, this cohort of five to 17 year olds is making up a larger percentage of our overall caseload. All of those indications, you know, you know tell me that those case numbers are, are increasing and that something's happening that's a little bit more uh, pronounced even than what we're seeing across the board, across all age groups. And right. obviously it correlates with the opening of school. You know, it, Correlation is not causation. We say that all the time. It's really important to remember that. But as schools have opened, as districts like West Ada, like Boise, like Middleton, you know, pick your district, are wrestling with the, the pros and cons of reopening, face-to-face uh, -face learning, you know, the, the, the numbers are increasing, and they're increasing more rapidly in, in that age group. Interestingly, didn't see that with uh, 18 to 29-year-olds with that college-age cohort. By far, that's the biggest chunk of coronavirus cases in the state, but the increase is not quite as uh, rapid in that group as we're seeing in, with the uh, the K through 12 cohort, which I found kind of interesting. And that was not what I expected to see. Um, and, and we kind of alluded to that in, in the story. You know, 
important to keep all of this in context because I know listeners are going to say, well, wait a minute, you know, kids are getting coronavirus. What does that mean? No child in Idaho has died of coronavirus. And I point that out in the story. We're kind of, we're having the same experience in Idaho that you're seeing nationally and globally that uh, the coronavirus is much more dangerous and much more potentially lethal to, um, to, Older people, people with uh, pre-existing uh, health complications, does not seem to be as life-threatening for young kids. Thank goodness, but you know the concern you've got with with kids is that they're going to spread it, and they're going to spread it within the community. That you know, school can lead to a community outbreak, and could certainly be uh, could put employees at risk, teachers at risk, especially. Uh, employees and teachers who maybe are uh, a little bit older, maybe have some health complications. That's why you're concerned about what's happening with the, uh, with, with the case numbers for kids, even if, uh, you know, for, for many kids, perhaps you know, the coronavirus is, you know, is not a life-threatening situation for them personally. Right. Correct. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I'm glad that you were able to follow up uh, and really drill down into the local numbers, because for me, um, that White House report that we talked about on last week's show talked about, and that was the report that recommended moving to online school in, um, in, in counties with elevated case numbers. That talked about an increase among uh, school-aged children, and we had not you know, previously been able to really dive, <coughs> pardon me, dive into the numbers at that level uh, before the last few weeks. And, and so I'm glad that you were able to do that and really look at, okay, definitively, at least in terms of case counts, which aren't the whole story, uh, but it's an important part of the story, you were able to look at what's going on with both our public school age students and our, um, you know, what, folks who would be more traditionally uh, college age students, like you said, in the uh, uh, 18 to 29 or 20 to 29 year old uh, age group. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, th- I think the college age figure, which I didn't write as much about, was really interesting, and it, and it comes at a point where you know we've spent a lot of time in the, in the podcast the past few weeks talking about what's happening on college campuses, and some of the numbers have been uh, alarming. Um, the numbers do show some signs on some campuses of sort of leveling off. The University of Idaho has had uh, some rather severe outbreaks in in the Greek community. That seems to be slowing down somewhat. Boise State's numbers have kind of stabilized. Those are good signs. You know, you, you know, we'll see if it if it holds. You know, I, I went in wondering what was going on on the campuses, but also wanting to understand what was going on at the K twelve level. And you know, it turned out the story was more of a story about what's happening in, in K twelve. And I, I finally I had a chance on Thursday to ask uh, Governor Little about those numbers. I mean, you know, we shared the numbers with him. He, he knew what we had and we knew what we'd written about. The story had already run on Wednesday. And he said, yeah, he's concerned about the increases. He's concerned about the numbers in, in the school system. He doesn't see anything that would make him want to say that we're at a tipping point where he would want to revisit the state's role and the state's posture on school reopening. And right now that posture is obviously to let the school districts and let the school boards and let the administrators figure it out at the local level. Um, that's kind of where he still wants to be. Um, he had said in response to an earlier question that this is really kind of a building by building 
issue, as he sees it, because it's a building by building outbreak. I mean, he said that there are some schools, even in West Ada, where there have been no cases. And, you know, this is something we've heard from the governor before for months uh, as this uh, outbreak has unfolded across the state, that there are, there, there are counties where the numbers aren't very high. And well, now every county's got multiple cases. You know, there are you know, counties where nobody has died. And, you know, there are only a handful right now like that. And, you know, there are certainly there are schools that have reported no cases. I mean, that comes through in the weekly reports we get from health and welfare. But, you know, in the aggregate, the numbers are increasing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good to have, um, you know, those, those numbers to look at and some hard data to, to look at for sure. But that is, like you said, that's the hallmark of the state's plan. We talked about West Ada's reopening situation in Boise, but that is the state's plan. They have encouraged and empowered local school boards and local school leaders to make their own decisions at the local level in consultation with those public health districts that we mentioned at the beginning of the show. But uh, the state has non-binding guidance. We've talked about that. They've got the color-coded risk classification system. Uh, but ba- basically, school boards are allowed to do what, what they want to do. Uh, and so you've got, we've got hybrid learning at different parts of the state. We have full-time, face-to-face traditional instruction in some areas of the state. But it is this smorgasbord, but that's, that's by design, and that's the state's plan in action, right? Yeah, and that's been the plan really since the summer. And the governor's not seeing anything in the numbers that makes him want to deviate from that. Um, obviously this is a data point we're going to be collecting weekly and I'll put it in my, my Friday roundup, what's happening with, uh, with cases involving kids and what's happening with, uh, cases involving 18 to 29 year olds. We'll watch that trend closely. And I suspect we may be doing more, uh, coverage about these numbers and about that trend, um, as, as we unfold here with the, with the school year. Oh, I suspect you're right. I suspect you're right, Kevin. Uh, what do you think? Do you have one more segment in you today? I was wanting to talk a little bit more about the state budget picture. Uh, but as we mentioned last week, the state's building towards a potential record surplus. They're going to hold on to it for now, but you took a closer look at how much money we're talking about and, and maybe uh, what some options could be down the road. But this is going to be another fight, even though it's seemingly good news, right, Kevin? Well, yeah, and, and you teed up the story on Friday, so I feel like I'm just kind of kind of following in behind. Um, the news that unfolded on Friday was uh, Governor Little talking about a potential record-breaking surplus, and the number that is being projected right now is $537 million worth of surplus. And the first thing I wanted to do was just kind of get a breakdown of where this is all coming from, because, you know, wasn't it just a few months ago that we were seeing record unemployment, record jobless claims, you know, you know, you know, know, state budget cuts, a state uh, shutdown, basically, you know, declining uh, tax collections, all of that did happen. (laughs) You know, we didn't dream that that's all part of the, uh, you know, the, you know, the, traumatic experience we all had you know, the first few months of the uh, the pandemic. But now, you know, Little and, you know, his, his budget people are looking at, you know, this really surprising surplus. And you've got to do a lot of math to get there, though. And that was the first part of the job for me, I guess, was to, okay, how do you get to $537 million? Well, 
you have more money as an ending balance than the, ex than the state expected. You know, every year the legislature leaves itself a cushion of like 40 or 50 or $60 million. Yeah. That ending balance came in really high this year, like $180 million, way higher than we usually see. The state saved a bunch of money on Medicaid because, in essence, the federal government picked up uh, added costs of Medicaid during the pandemic. So that's, a, so that's some savings. This surplus also includes the money that Governor Little cut from the budgets, the holdbacks. The holdbacks, that the 5%. That's now being treated as part of that surplus. So the $99 million that Little cut from the K-12 budget that he's since using federal money to replace, that $99 million now shows up as, sur as surplus because it's money that didn't get spent, state money that didn't get spent. $96 million of agency uh, cuts are, are now treated as surplus because it's $96 million that we have, apparently, but we didn't spend. So you do all of that, and that's most of the surplus. Kind of one-time savings, one-time money. Tax collections are up. They're $100 million ahead of pace for the yeah. first three months. That that may be really the flashpoint here in this whole budget debate, because you and I, we've covered enough budgets. What's happening with those tax collections, that ongoing source of revenue, that really becomes the the building block for the budget, because it's you know it's permanent money. It's seen as permanent funding. You know, it's the, the tax revenue base that we build a budget around year after year. So if those tax dollars are coming in ahead of schedule, which they are for the first three months of the yep. budget year anyway, yep. that becomes money that legislators and governors tend to look at as, well, it's money we can either spend, we can put it into programs, or we can use it uh, for tax relief or some combination. So that's why I wanted to look at this, because... No matter what the final figure turns out to be, if we've got a surplus, a, a large surplus, we're going to have a big political struggle over what to do with it. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I just kind of, you know, threw out a couple of things there, you know, with the idea of you do tax relief, which the legislature didn't figure out how to do this year, even though uh, legislators and the governor did want to cut taxes, they couldn't figure out how. So you have a kind of pent up desire to do something in terms of tax relief. You got the questions about teacher pay raises and resuming the career ladder, which was put on hold in these budget cuts. Um, the governor, and you heard it up last week, alluded to the idea of maybe trying to do something in terms of infrastructure, maybe yeah. transportation, transportation projects, and water, water projects. Who knows? And one thing I, I think, you know, we can kind of bank on here is that there's going to be a battle over this, uh, the surplus and, Governor's going to have an idea. 105 legislators may have 105 different preferences about what you do with uh, this kind of money. It, you know, I've been around enough legislative sessions to know that sometimes the longest and most bitter legislative sessions happen when you actually have money to fight over. That sometimes legislative sessions go quickly when there's no money because everybody sees, oh, we got no money. Let's, let's spend what we, let, let's just kind of hold the line here. Oh, yeah. When there's extra money, there's, Plenty of uh, plenty of ideas of what to do with it. Oh, I think of one of the stimulus years and one of the longest sessions uh, in the last twenty years. I mean, I'm thinking about that, but I, yeah, and I mean, it's a really good look at 
the budget and the budget situation, and, and I think you do this as well as anybody in the state of Idaho, and I enjoy reading these kind of articles from you, but you get into it, and, and i got to be real careful here, otherwise I'll get an angry text from Representative Wendy Horman saying I'm way out of my area of expertise, but we talk about one-time money versus ongoing money, and it gets complicated, but the surplus itself, all 537 of that, you can't just pump that into like ongoing teacher raises because a lot of that is one-time money, and and legislators are very careful uh, about spending one-time money. But the tax collections, that money that you talked about, if that comes through ahead of schedule, then that is money that would maybe perhaps be something that would be a little bit more comfortable looking in because that's tax collections are an ongoing source of revenue as opposed to a holdback uh, is one time. Uh, but it gets complicated, but it's not, it's not all fair game, right? about the tax collections being the, you know, the, the coin of the realm here in terms of what you do in terms of the budget. But you and I also know that one thing that really complicates this whole debate about what to do with this ongoing tax revenue is we're three months into the budget year. Yeah. And the biggest months of the budget year in terms of tax collections are yet to come. That's, that's April, that's May. That's when all of our income tax, uh, money starts to roll into the state. And we don't really know what to expect there. And it's going to be, I, I suspect, a little bit harder to predict just because we know we had all of those, you know, all of that job turnover, all of those jobless claims in the spring, all of you know that, that high unemployment rate. And right now our unemployment rate is lower. It's one of the lowest in the nation. But we had that, that you know, big, big turbulence in the spring and summer. And you know, what does that mean in terms of income tax collections? We don't know. We don't know. And the legislature probably won't know when they're setting budgets or writing tax bills because you know those reports, those revenue reports, will come in you know in April or May. And you know, you know, let's hope that by April or May the legislature is done for the year and we're we're you know we're we're free of covering a legislative session. So it's a very complicated matter. And I, all I wanted to do with this story was. To kind of set the stage, you know, where's all this money coming from and what, you know, what, what could be the politics of, of sorting out what to do with it all? It, it's really complicated and fascinating. On the one hand, it seems like a good problem to have just on the surface, have all this, this surplus. But I know that there are people who are saying, wait a minute, we've got schools struggling out there. We've got infrastructure projects that are behind. We've got Idahoans who have, are out of work and have had their lost their business or their industry has been transformed. Maybe send some of that money back and don't just sit and hold on to it. But it, it, it seems like a good problem to have, but it, it's going to get complicated. Um, but it's going to be interesting as well, right? Oh, no. It, it's We already kind of knew that this was going to be a contentious legislative session just because of the uh, what we saw in the special session, mm. just because of what we saw in terms of kind of the unrest about the state's response to COVID-19 and the legislature feeling like its role has been usurped in this whole process. We, we know that we're going to see that as a recurring theme in the legislative session. Now you factor in, we've got potentially hundreds of million dollars to fight over. Wow. <laughs> this could be, this, this could be a wild session. Yeah. I'm looking at my notes here and it says 2021 
short and sweet legislative session. I guess I better cross that out, huh? Yeah. I, uh, well, the good thing is, you know, Tree Ford isn't until September of 2020. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they'll be finished. You don't have to worry about you know, the end of the legislative session, you know, crowding up against Tree Ford, you know. We hope. <laughs> we hope. All right. Well, it's a lot going on. Um, we try to keep things on an even keel, but I do know that it's a lot going on uh, and that, that people are experiencing a lot of stress uh, right now and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of anxiety. I'm not trying to diminish that in, in any way at all. Uh, I, I recognize that and I know um, that that's going on and I'm experiencing you know, some of that personally. It's something that I wrestle with uh, and it's certainly stressful. Um I'm just listening to those school board meetings this week and and hearing the trustees talk about their uh, conflicts and, and hearing the school the the teachers stand up and and talk about their concerns and and I mean it still it gets me when you have people get up and talk about you know updating their wills and 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 making you know uh, these sort of arrangements um, you know every time it gets me that that the you know that's something that folks are wrestling with that that's literally where we're at for some people and. So I'm not trying to diminish that at all, um, but I, you know, just trying to have a little bit of an even keel, especially, um, you know, having a little fun talking about the legislative session and sort of half dreading it at the same time. But anyways, that was a lot no, to no, get nobody's to. Nobody's got it easy right now. I, we get that, whether you're uh, a teacher or a parent or a school administrator or a school trustee, you know, nobody's got easy decisions to make right now. No. We totally understand that. We're, we're sympathetic to that. Um you know, we know that we're going through tough times, all of us, uh, you know, and, and our, our role here is to try to, you know, give you some perspective of what's happened in the week and what may uh, unfold in, in in the days to come and try to have a little bit of fun with it too. Uh, you know, yeah. try to find something, you know, some moment of levity to, to, uh, to break it up a little bit, but uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a full week and next week could be uh, another one much like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point to, to, to end on and to wrap it up. Uh, I got to everything that we wanted to get to uh, this week, but that's a good reminder. Uh, next week's going to be really busy, especially at the beginning part of the week. Reach out to us if you're part of the West Data community and want to share your perspective and your story. We would love to hear from you and add that perspective. Uh, but yeah, keep in touch with us. Follow the homepage, www.idahoednews.org as we'll have the latest and greatest um, all throughout uh, next week. And then we will be back, of course, next week for another brand new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. So I know we'll be looking forward uh, to that. But uh, as always, thanks so much. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Stay safe and have a good week.